Welcome into the latest edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. Tyler Mon, along with Benjamin Hill and Sam Dystra, and we have to get right to it. Ben is headed to game five of the World Series tonight in Philadelphia. He's rocking the Phil's cap right now. Uh, what are the emotions? You are, I don't know, seven-ish hours away from first pitch. What's what's going on? Oh, man, I'm psyched. I cannot believe I'm actually going to this game. Game five, the 2022 World Series for those keeping score at home. Um, yeah, tickets came about in a late-breaking fashion. And, uh, you know, I love doing the podcast with you guys. I, I love a lot of the work I do generally. But right now I'm just kind of like, all right, when am I going to shut things down and just get out of here? I mean, I'm in no real rush. But, you know, that antsy feeling of just like, eh, like I'm going to go to Jersey City, meet my brother, drive there from Jersey City. And you know how it is. You get all antsy, like, oh, is the traffic going to be bad? And oh, I want to get in there and have time to just wander around and take in the atmosphere and maybe at least consider buying, you know, very expensive merchandise and uh, maybe get some chickies and Pete's crab fries. And ah, oh, I just want to be there. I just want to go. I'm psyched. Um, it's great. You know, I'm Mr. Not Mr. Minor League Baseball, but I'm a minor league guy. And uh obviously um but you know the roots of my fandom are major league baseball and the phillies specifically and to really feel tapped into that on a very very improbable postseason run is uh just been a lot a lot of fun and um huge game obviously i mean game five of the world series is never not a huge game but uh you know i'm nervous and i'm really psyched well, we are really excited for you, and uh, for those of you who are tuned in after Game 5, you already know what happened. So um, just enjoy our delight at the uh, excitement of uh, a swing game in this 2022 World Series, which has already been pretty dang entertaining. And uh, with that, we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show. You can get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. Uh, you can find the dudes on Twitter at Ben's Biz, at Sam Dykstra, MILB, uh, and I am at Tyler Mon. Sam, hi. We haven't we haven't heard from you yet. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. I, I'm happy to give the floor to, to Ben. I want to uh, pick a bone with one thing he said, though, is like, you know, that antsy feeling. I don't, Ben. I've never been to a World Series game. <laughs> I don't know this feeling you're going through right now. I'm very excited for you. I'm antsy for you. But no, I can't relate. Um, and yeah, I hope, you know, obviously we're coming off game four here, which was the no hitter that the Astros threw, which was exciting in a different way from a general baseball fan sense. Uh, but as we're talking here, the series is not at a 2-2. Like this is a very pivotal game. The series could very well turn on game five and you'll be at the bank for it. So that's very exciting. Yeah. And, and, and ANSI, I mean, ANSI just when your team is in the postseason in general, you know, your team has won more world series in the 21st century than my team has won um, in their history. So, you know, Hey, you've been there. You've been there a little more, um, you know, those Boston Red Sox. Yeah, Sam. We're not feeling I, bad for you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying anybody should feel bad for me. I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm I'm sharing Ben's joy. That's all I'm here to do. <laughs> we're all okay, here. I'll accept that. I'll, Share I'll, Ben's joy. It's like win Ben Stein's money, but we're sharing Ben Hill's joy. Steal Ben uh, Hill's joy. Steal <laughs> Ben's joy. Um, well, let's dive in and talk about uh, some good Ben Hill stuff that is up on the site at MILB.com. And we're going to kick things off in Rochester, New York, where there is a generational connection uh, with a name that is as big a name in the history of baseball in Rochester as any. And that is the name Maury Silver. And there is a really good story that Ben's got on the site that is about not one, but two different Maury Silvers, uh, one of whom is currently working for the Rochester Red Wings and the other one saved the Rochester Red Wings last century. Uh, ben, give us the the story behind this legendary baseball name and how it continues now uh, in this 2020s decade in Rochester. Yeah, you know, Rochester was the last place I visited uh, in this season and this article, um, save for one more that's already written. But uh, this article represents the the end of the line for my you know in-season road trip content, which I like to parcel out as long as I can. And it really came about initially when I was before I visited the Red Wings, I was just looking at the uh, the team staff page, just making, you know, seeing who I knew, who I didn't know. Um, and I see on there Maury Silver. And I'm just like, wait, Maury Silver. That's a very well-known name in Rochester history. And I've been to visit the Rochester Red Wings before at their home of Frontier Field, which actually just recently in the last couple of weeks, uh, I guess a new corporate sponsorship is now Innovative Field. 
but I've been there once before and you know learned about Maury Silver's history. Um, in 1956, the Red Wings, you know, who have operated consecutively since 1899, um, in 1956, they were a Cardinals farm team and the Cardinals, um, you know, decided they didn't want to be part of the that team anymore, didn't want to operate them. There's a danger of losing baseball in Rochester and Maury Silver, a local businessman, successful guy, uh, initiated a stock drive uh, to purchase the team from the Cardinals, sold 8,222 shares and, um, you know, got the team under the ownership of Rochester Community Baseball, saved baseball in Rochester, you know, a um, a, a successful run that continues to this day. Um, the stadium that had been called Red Wing Stadium uh, was renamed Silver Stadium in 1968. Um, now when you go to the team's current home of newly rechristened Innovative Field, there's a statue of Maury Silver out front. The ballpark is located on Maury Silver Way. Um, his number, which is a little strange, but his number of 8,222 has been retired. That's the number of shares he sold um, to keep the Red Wings in Rochester. But yet, when I went to the staff page, there's Maury Silver working for the team, and he is Maury Silver's grandson. So I just thought it was interesting that there's a you know next generation or two generations removed, Maury Silver still working for the Red Wings, and he is the son of uh, Naomi Silver, who is you know, the original Maury Silver's uh, daughter. And Naomi Silver is, has herself had a really interesting career. Um, you know, Maury Silver, her dad, the original Maury Silver, passed away in 1974 when she was still a teenager. But she uh, kept working for the team and is now currently the team president, CEO, COO, you know, uh, heads up the Rochester Red Wings and uh, became the first woman, you know, at the helm of a minor league baseball team. So she's carried on her father's legacy quite a bit. And she named her son Maury, who is, you know, I asked him about it. I'm like, in this city, Maury Silver, that name has a lot of weight. And he just said, you know, it's been the guiding principle of my life. I've never, never something I've chafed against. It just kind of was always felt like who I am, someone who wanted to work in baseball. And he grew up around the ballpark. He played baseball in college. He has his own, you know, player development company, um, helping players get drafted through using technology and that kind of thing. Um, but he said that everything he does, and no matter what direction he goes, um, you know, the health of the franchise is first and foremost, and that will always be his first priority. Um, so it's a, an interesting continuation of this legacy. Uh, Maury Silver, starting back in the 50s, to his daughter Naomi, to now Maury Silver, the grandson of the original Maury Silver, uh, still really dedicated to the franchise and keeping Rochester going. Um, you know, a team that started in 1899, and here here it is in its in its third century. So it's a really cool family legacy, and uh, that's what I wrote about. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, hopefully with significantly less drama, of the Bus family with the Lakers, of an owner coming in, saving a team, purchasing a stock in it, um, and you know, making it a, a family business. And that's how things survive. It isn't necessarily this big company that's taken over the team. It's it's a family, and it's, and it's running the family, and I, I really like that as kind of a throwback. Um, ben, let's pivot a little bit. It, it is now officially November, as, as you know, since the World Series is going on. And normally we talk about November in the minor leagues as logo Vember. Uh, we've tapped into that a little bit this week. We dipped our toes into it, uh, starting with the Charlotte Knights getting a new look for an anniversary season um, and one that kind of ties in with the rest of the city, which I really like. What, what can you tell us about the Knights' new look? Yeah, I have a story on this up on MILB.com. It was the you know, one of the first events of uh, Logo Vember, which is not an official uh, holiday, but it still exists. I believe that, that term was originally coined Yet. by uh, Brandiose. Um, but Logo Vember, um, you know, it is a time that teams unveil new logos, new alternate identities, sometimes full on rebranding. Um, you know, you want to do that with a lot of time left in the offseason. And of course, ideally do it. So uh, you have merchandise out uh, for holiday shopping. So the Charlotte Knights kick things off. Uh, with much more of a refresh than any sort of rebrand, uh, the team moved into Truist Field in Uptown Charlotte uh, in 2014. If you know that ballpark, been to that ballpark, you know, it's right there in the heart of Charlotte. Beautiful skyline views. And that was significant for the team, obviously moving into a new ballpark. But they also had previously been playing in South Carolina, in Fort Mill, South Carolina, just across the state line. Um, so that made them a real Charlotte team. And in conjunction with that, they, they rebranded in 2014, uh, you know, silver and gold really prominent. So what they've done now 
as they enter their 10th season in uh, Truist Field and their 30th season uh, in the International League, AAA, uh, you know, they, they've refreshed that and they've gone with blue, a light blue. They call it uh, Knights Blue officially, but really it's a Charlotte Blue because one of the main uh, motivations for this uh, refresh is to put the team's colors and colorway uh, in tandem with Charlotte's sports scene as a whole. And that, that was a big part of the reasoning for this rebrand and the prominence of the blue uh, in that the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA, the Carolina Panthers and the NFL, um, Charlotte FC soccer team, they all have that light blue, that kind of teal color. And now the Knights have that as well. So there's this increased city identity. You know, they've been now rooted in Uptown Charlotte, in the heart of Charlotte proper for a decade. And for them, this was the next step with, you know, really connecting themselves with the city of Charlotte and this and the city's uh, other professional sports teams. So a lot of thought behind it, even though the changes are relatively minor. Uh, you might also notice that the Knight in the primary logo has shifted his position. He was facing, I believe, to the left and now is to the right. But the main thing is uh, is the color scheme and that uh, Charlotte blue, that hashtag CLT blue. It's kind of interesting, too, because I just looked up the uh, the Charlotte City flag, and that's like a royal blue. So I don't know where uh, – I mean, I guess it was the 90s when the, the Hornets and the Panthers came into being, and so everything had to be like teal or purple. Um, but it's, it's cool. I like that um, unifying idea behind uh, the the colorway for the new Charlotte Knights look. And um, there is another team that rolled out a new look. Now, not a, a rebrand or redesign, but uh, an additional look in an alternate uniform, and that is the Erie Seawolves, who uh, introduced a Howling Dead alternate uniform for 2023. Uh, this is sort of uh, zombie-looking. It's also Jolly Roger-looking. Uh, according to the front office of the Erie Seawolves themselves. Um, I like the logo. I really, really like the script that comes along with this logo. It's like a kind of a gothic-looking team script. Um, but give us the rundown behind the reason for this new additional mark for Erie, Ben. Yeah, the Howling Dead. This is a uh, alternate mark that they will uh, wear for uh, Thursday home games. And for them, kind of like uh, the Knights, you know, marking their 10th season in a new ballpark, uh, for the Seawolves, this marks their 10th year since their, um, they unveiled their current you know, primary branding and primary logos, uh, a really nice set that was designed by Dan Simon of Studio Simon, I believe. So you know, now 10 years down the line, they're just trying to freshen it up, not change the primary look, not rebrand, but add something new into the mix. And, you know, the Howling Dead, it does have a bit of a horror feel to it. And it's funny because uh, Erie already has uh, an alternate Halloween cap with a kind of wolf that looks like Frankenstein and, uh, you know, jerseys that spell Erie, E-E-R-I-E. So um, I wouldn't quite call it a horror theme, but Howling Dead, you know, kind of um, continues in the tradition of their uh, Halloween style branding. And uh, even though they, they, they Seawolf started as a Pirates affiliate, but have been with the Detroit Tigers for... Uh, you know, over two decades, but there is still kind of a a pirate uh, branding to um, to the organization, not tied in with Pittsburgh specifically, but just their own look. And, uh, you know, Howling Dead kind of ties in with that, uh, with these, uh, you know, a sea wolf is a pirate of the sea. And now it's an even kind of spookier uh, style of pirates, the Howling Dead. But yeah, Tyler, like you mentioned, it's pretty cool. You know, you got this red wolf outline with like a wolf skull in the center and, and red eyes. It's definitely an intimidating, uh, kind of scary look. And uh, they'll be do they'll be wearing that uh, every Thursday home game. All right, Ben, we are uh, into, as you noted, Logo Vember, which does not necessarily just mean uh, all things dedicated toward the start of a new season. Some of them are kind of dedicated toward this uh, this fall time of the year in which we find ourselves. And one of those is in Hudson Valley. That's probably the only one of those. But it's a very cool thing in Hudson Valley, and that's where we're headed next. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, the calendar page flipped to November, and we had Charlotte, we had Erie, and we had Hudson Valley. Usually the Renegades, but they have a new alternate identity. And Tyler, as you mentioned, it is quite autumnal. The Cider Donuts. So we're going to talk to Tyson Jeffers, general manager of the Renegades, to learn much more about Hudson Valley Cider Donuts. Stay hungry or get hungry or have a Cider Donut. I've never had Satiate one. And I'm hungry. very, I'm upset about it now. I haven't had one. So when I come what? out there, I know. So when I come out there, uh, at some point, I'm going to have to get one with you, too. 
Tyler, I have one. Like I'm in Arizona and I have one here by me. I'm I mean, I, you know, I'm sure I could go get one right now, but it's not like whenever I walk into a place, well, especially now being, you know, in my late thirties and trying to think about my, uh, my gross physique. Uh, I try not to go after as many donuts as possible, but you know, I think it's rare that I walk into a place and they have cider donuts, you know, anyway, well, we need to, we need to rectify this. You have family in the New York area. I do. I do. I'm sure your sister lives a stone's throw from somewhere. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're changing this. Okay. All right. Good enough. Sorry, Ben. We we bogarted your whole intro just to talk about how I haven't had a cider donut. No, that's all right. I mean, hey, we're <laughs> off on a tangent now. I just want to tell you that your physique is not gross. Ah, oh, what a guy. Thanks, buddy. Hudson Valley Cider Donuts <laughs> coming up next. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are joined by Tyson Jeffers, general manager of the Hudson Valley Renegades, who on Tuesday, November 1st, unveiled a new alternate identity that will now uh, you know, be part of the team's uh, ballpark experience all season long. And four times this season, they are suiting up as the Hudson Valley Cider Donuts. So, Tyson, thanks for being here to talk all about the uh, Hudson Valley Cider Donuts. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, well, it goes without saying that uh, food-related identities, alternate identities, have been a big thing in minor league baseball for a good seven or so years now. Uh, I believe this is the first one for the Renegades and first cider donuts identity, of course, uh, probably in professional sports history, I imagine. Um, tell us how this came about. What was the the process like in deciding you wanted to go this route? And I know these things take, take a long time from uh, first brainstorm to uh, finally getting out into the world. Yeah, so I think this one probably took longer than normal. COVID had some impact on that. So pre-COVID, and this is pre my tenure with the Renegades, um, even before I was general manager, uh, they started having these discussions, I think back in 2018, and they created some concept artwork that is a little rough, but it was like, it's still fun to look at. And that got pulled out. Um, I believe it was sometime during COVID when we got back into the offices, we started looking through files and like, hey, we're going to need some stuff to spice things up once we get out of COVID and get back um, to real life and get into the season. And 2021 came and it just wasn't it didn't feel like the right time because we were still impacted by COVID. So we we kind of left it on the back burner for that season. And then 2022 rolled around and we're like, OK, let's get serious about this. And we we pulled it out. We reached out to Brandios, who has done a fantastic job with a lot of other teams and doing alternate identities and started having the conversations with them. And they started working with us on the design and the personality and all of the layers that go into it. And we built what we have today, which is Dusty the Cider Donut. Um, hopefully I can send you guys images. If people haven't seen those, they can go to our website to, to check those out. But, um, yeah, we released it on Tuesday to a lot of fanfare. Um, definitely from people in the Hudson Valley that know what a cider donut is. I think there's people from around the country that are still learning what that is. So we're excited to tell that story. Yeah, definitely want to get into the imagery a little bit uh, shortly and uh, talk about Dusty, who appears someone has taken a bite out of him, which uh, seems might have been a little uh, troubling. It does seem dark. Than... Yeah, it does. It does we, seem dark we, for him. It's the beginning of the end. We <laughs> joke that uh, Dusty grew up on the streets, so <laughs> he's, he's been <laughs> yeah. through a little bit. <laughs> it's a tough world for a donut. But before we get into that, you know, when we're talking Hudson Valley Renegades, we're talking Hudson Valley, New York, um, you know, known for being a you know, a lot of natural beauty in the area, not too far from, you know, New York City. Take Metro North in that direction. Um, tell us about, you know, cider donuts in the region, you know, the places that do it well and, you know, why it is specific to Hudson Valley and and, and so special to, uh, you know, your team and your identity. Yeah, so the, the Hudson Valley, anyone that hasn't been up here, it's one of the most beautiful places during the fall. Uh, the changing of the colors when you see, a lot of pictures of kind of the most beautiful leaves and fall and the essence of fall. It's a lot of pictures probably from the Hudson Valley or up in this region. Um, so people love to get outdoors and do things outside before winter rolls in and we all get stuck inside. 
Um, and there's a lot of apple orchards. There's a lot of farms and farmland and they do a lot of things during the fall. And part of that process and part of that, I guess the activities is, uh, is cider donuts and people go out and they pick apples, they go eat fresh cider donuts. They eat, they drink, um, hard cider in a cider site, you know, so there's a lot of stuff going on up here. There's a lot of apple orchards that people frequent and, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just one of those things that I think every region kind of has its own delicacies. And this is one of those, uh, here in upstate New York. Now, Tyson, I got to ask you about the timing for not the release, but for the season. Uh, teams, you know, come up with different food identities, but they are not generally seasonal outside of baseball season. So you guys get kind of a, an autumnal themed thing uh, for a sport that's played in, in spring and summer mostly. But of course, now obviously goes a little bit later. Um, what is the plan for, you know, if it's uh, an alternate uniform day, but it's July and it's miserably hot? How are you bringing the... Uh, the apple cider donuts concept to a, uh, a spring and summertime feel? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think all of us never want baseball to end. So we look at it as year round and anytime we can keep talking about it year round, um, it helps us. So hopefully this allows us to keep that conversation going through the, the off season. But during the season, as you said, like when it starts getting hot and people are like, Oh man, I wish it would cool off. Um, we hope to bring that, that feel into the ballpark. I mean, we're going to have cider donuts made fresh every single game from April 7th opening night to the end of the season in September. Um, so we're going to, we're going to bring that and, and you can eat cider donuts hot or cold. So even on a, a warm, warm day, you could eat a cold cider donut, drink some uh, cold hard cider and, uh, and enjoy it and cool off a little bit, but we're going to have uh, when we, change to the cider donuts for those four games we're gonna infuse the fall themes in different ways we're still planning those details out but we hope to have a lot of fun with that that theme that's what i was going to ask too is if you were going to have cider donuts available at cider donuts games but you're actually going to have them every day during the season every day so that's even more fun we're going to start pretty simple with just straight cider donuts but hopefully it can evolve into more unique food options like a cider donuts hamburger. We haven't tested any of these, so I'm just spitballing. But you know, Ben, I know you're into the food stuff, so maybe you can come up with some ideas on what we can create with a cider donut. Yeah, I'll start brainstorming right away. And I'm way overdue for the trip to Le- uh, Lehigh Valley. Geez, that overdue I am that I called it Lehigh Valley. I'm way overdue to come to Hudson Valley, and uh, looking forward to uh, uh, seeing those cider donuts firsthand and having my designated eater gorge himself you know take yeah. a take a proverbial bite out of dusty <laughs> uh tyson i wanted to just ask about the advertising for this and, and you were talking about the look with dusty and how you guys came up with that and i'll touch on that here in a second but just the ad you guys announced for this through you know announcing the hat and what it's going to look like and it says it's cider season it almost reminds me of kind of like an old school ad almost like a sneaker ad that you might see from way back when just take us through the advertising for it and the look that you guys are promoting along with it. Yeah. And, and we've kind of transitioned to the simplistic theme for our advertising and that will carry on throughout this season. Um, Some of that is in 2024 will be our 30th anniversary. So we're starting to line up um, a more simplistic and kind of retro look in a way. Um, it also allows us to showcase merchandise in a really clean fashion. I, I love it. When you look at that, you're like, oh man, that's, it kind of takes people back, especially um, if you grew up in the eighties and nineties, it's kind of like that old school Nike ad that you'd see in like a sports illustrated magazine or something. So it allows us to um, simplify, simplify the the messaging um, really highlight the big piece, like it's cider season and, and showcase that. And then, make the hat the focal point we did that with a retro hat we did a couple weeks back too and it got a ton of play so we wanted to really do that and let the hat speak for itself the colorways of the hat um, are pretty unique uh, when you look across the board at other minor league teams and then dusty and his look is uh is unique in its own way too and has a lot of different pieces to it so we wanted it 
we didn't want to clutter the stuff around it. We wanted people to be really focused on um, on the hat and the other merchandise we'll put out um, here in the upcoming weeks. Um, we want people to be able to focus on those. Yeah, and it definitely makes it easy to focus on this hat. Like you said, it is a little unique in that it's a, a green hat with an orange bill for a sport that's usually so dominated by red and blue. And there is some red in here um, between the apple ball that he's holding and the apple on the jug of cider. But you mentioned before that before COVID, this went through several iterations. Um, what are some of those iterations? Like what changes were made along the way to get to the dusty we all know and love now? The So dusty is, and when, when you see him, he kind of has a little smirk and you can kind of take it as he's like a little, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but he's, it kind of looks deceivious in a way, like he's kind of running away from something, like he just stole that apple that he's carrying. But um, the first iterations were a little bit more cartoonish, I'd say, as far as like when you think of a kid's comic book or a kid's like cartoon, very loving and huggable type. And I think Dusty that we have today has a little bit more attitude and spunk and that kind of fits more with our personality as a team of being the renegades and our main mascot rascal like he's deceivious in his own way so we tied some of that the personalities of our our authentic brand into dusty a little bit yeah and uh you know you talked about the merchandise um and um i know there's more to come but i think i saw something on twitter this week that one of the pieces of Hudson Valley Cider Donuts merchandise will be a uh, scented T-shirt. Is is that the case? Um, I feel like it's so hard to say this is a first in minor league baseball. I feel like maybe Lehigh Valley had some bacon scented T-shirts, but pretty rare. Um, you know, how did you kind of, I don't want to say stumble upon, but, you know, find out about that option and, and follow through with, uh, if not unprecedented, the very rare uh, scented minor league alternate identity t-shirt yeah so lehigh valley has done that with their bacon bacon scented shirts and we're lucky enough to have um, zach bakowski on our staff he is a product of lehigh valley so i think as you guys know minor league baseball teams are great at stealing ideas from other teams and we knew they did it. We knew they've had a lot of success with it. And the people that we work with on our merchandising knew that that was an option. And they said, hey, let's check into it and see if we can get an apple cinnamon smelling T-shirt and I think sweatshirt too. So um, those are pretty cool. I We haven't gotten them in hand yet. So I'm eager to see how pungent they are from a smell standpoint if you're just walking around and it smells like you've been sprayed with apple cinnamon but um i know that it lasts for like 25 washes which is pretty good so it will smell for a while um but yeah it's it's unique we want to have different things that go beyond just a standard t-shirt our whole goal is to make it more of an immersive experience from start to finish and and part of that is having unique items that we sell beyond just the traditional t-shirts or sweatshirts. Um, and it goes all the way down into the packaging that we're going to deliver it in when people make online orders. All right, Tyson. Well, this is going to be the last one for me um, being from the Hudson Valley. And I, you know, I'm currently in Arizona, but I will be flying back to New York city on Monday. And one of my favorite things is always driving up there and, you know, stopping somewhere along the way for cider donuts. So do you have a favorite uh, spot around the area other than what you guys will be making yourselves at the Dutch every night next year? Where are the it, best cider donuts in the Hudson Valley? So one of our partners is Adams Fair Care Farm. So they have uh, different locations and they make some of the best cider donuts um, around. You can get those at their locations. Uh, another one that they're not a partner, uh, someone that we'd love to talk to. Angry Orchard has a pretty big um uh, I should say they have a lot of land. They have their actual orchard up in this area. And um, when you go and tour that, they have fresh cider donuts that they make right there on site. Um, beyond the cider donuts, the view and the the whole experience is pretty fantastic. So when you can get a good cider donut, plus uh, the views of the Hudson Valley, especially during the fall, it, it makes the experience way better. And to go back to uh, Dusty, I almost called him Busty. My goodness, I'm self-destructing today. To go back to Dusty, 
Uh, one last time, uh, we talked about him a little bit. Bit of a rough and tumble character, has a bite taken out of him. Um, obviously, very prevalent in the branding of this alternate identity. But will we see Dusty in the flesh, so to speak, at the ballpark? Will there be a uh, life-size or larger-than-life-size cider donut uh, walking around the ballpark? Um, we have not pulled the trigger on that yet. That's something that we wanted to test the brand and make sure that it had the legs to sustain more than just a single iteration. So um, based on the start of this and the pace, it's going really well. So it's something that we're looking into right now on, on creating a more permanent fixture and character for our experience here at the ballpark, because we will serve cider donuts all season long. So it's possible that we do introduce a, a life-size Dusty uh, in 2023, but um, I know for sure that we're already looking into it for 2024. So um, expect to probably see him at some point. I just don't know exactly when. Well, I hope this interview has uh, made you, the listener, hungry for some cider donuts and uh, can keep that up appetite in the baseball season four times uh, at the Dutch uh, in 2023, in addition to donuts every single day. So uh, unprecedented territory here for cider donuts and minor league baseball. Uh, Tyson Jeffers, general manager of the Hudson Valley Renegades and occasionally the Hudson Valley Cider Donuts. Uh, thanks so much for joining the show before the show podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was fun. Well, now I really want a cider donut. You should always want a cider donut. I mean, they do always sound good. Um, I'm just like I'm just the type of guy who, when I see donuts, I want chocolate. Like that's always my thing. Really? I always want a chocolate donut. I love chocolate donuts. Interesting. That you brought up that I still my standard is almost the Simpsons way, which is just the strawberry frosted. Oh, okay, okay. But as has you. been well established on this podcast and elsewhere in my life, I am a Dunkin' man. Yeah, and you are. Dunkin' just makes a very strong strawberry frosted donut, so that's what I think of. Yeah, but I mean, I went home a, a couple of weeks ago, and my mom was like, "It's cider donut season. I'm sending you home with a dozen of these." And, and you know, how many are left? Oh, none of them. They're all gone. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it's it's a sign of you were talking about like, oh, I'm worried about my gross physique. I have my mother just like forcing them upon me. They're like, no, you want these. You like yeah. these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's true. You're supposed to be looking out for my well-being. And I guess it's my mental well-being you're looking after because that's what I get out of these. It's not a yeah. physical thing. Yeah. But, um, they're just so good. They're they're. I know he was mentioning before they're good, warm or cold. You can have them either way. Yeah. They're just a little bit better warm. Yeah, warm. I was going to say they do sound like... Uh warm would be i don't think i would go with a cold unless i had like a hot cup of coffee to dunk a cold cider donut in or just a hot cup of cider go with yeah, or a hot up, cup of cider yeah. See, yeah i feel like that might be too much it might drown out drown out the cider flavor of the donut by going with cider flavor of actual cider yeah this might be me overcompensating at this point for after somebody said oh i think josh is the autumn man of the staff and i was like yelled into <laughs> and the you were Zoom like, meeting, how dare you who do yeah. you think i am that is true sam really is mr autumn man from uh from the onion J- josh is too we can share the title he can be yeah. the main autumn man and i can be the new york autumn man it's possible yeah, that's true i mean I, I also own a lot of flannels no uh, you're, not, you're not invited wow Wow. How dare you? I'm sorry. You haven't had a cider donut. You, you have, that's, that's the rite of passage. You know what? Uh, I don't make the rules. You don't have, you don't have Aspen trees out there. So who's, uh, okay, now we're just who's got different, like who's got different fall foliage yeah. foliage. Um, I, I fought tooth and nail to not make uh, a Simpsons cider, um, episode reference where, uh, Flanders is explaining the difference between apple juice and apple cider. Um, but uh, that also occurs, the opening scene, during Game 7 of the World Series. So maybe that means that we're headed the full distance because uh, Marge makes a comment in the opening scene of that episode, something like, don't you feel bad for all the people who are watching Game 7 of the World Series right now? Um, <laughs> because they're out walking in an, in an apple orchard. Uh, yeah, they won't get to pick apples today. All right, let's get back on track. Stop distracting me with uh, with cider donuts because now I'm probably going to leave and go get a donut when we get done recording. Um, 
Sam Dykstra still in the state of Arizona, the Grand Canyon state where I can't imagine they grow a ton of apples for apple cider, but it's possible. Um, and that is what our topic is going to be. The agricultural uh, crop distribution of the state of Arizona. Now we're going to talk a little more Arizona folly. We are coming up on AFL home run derby day this weekend. And then one final uh, stretch for the Arizona fall league season, the fall stars game championship game, uh, after the two play and semifinal contest is coming up next week. Um, but Sam, we're, we're into the final stretch of the AFL and the home run derby on the horizon as the next up big event. Yeah. Just a few more days left for me, uh, in the AFL, but uh, I'm happy to be here for this rotation because the AFL home run derby is on Saturday. The fall stars game will be on Sunday. Um, they've actually bumped up the time a little bit on the fall stars game because of a potential conflict with game seven of the world series. Should it be necessary um but fall stars home run derby coming up this saturday we already know who's going to be tar- participating in that i'll run through that real quick it's davison de los santos the arizona d-backs number six prospect edward julian minnesota's number 14 prospect heston kerstad number nine prospect from the baltimore Orioles system matt mervis the 21st ranked cubs prospect andy pajes uh, number 66 overall on mlb.com's uh, top 100, number five in the Dodger system. Robert Perez Jr., number 21 for the Mariners. Jailene Ortiz, number 17 for the Philadelphia Phillies. And Stephen Scott was a Red Sox uh, prospect himself, though he's not ranked among their top 30. Now, this is going to be really interesting. The rules are a little bit different, I think, than some of the other home run derbies you may have seen. Uh, each player is going to have two minutes and 30 seconds to crush as many diggers as they can in the first round. And then all competitors advance to round two, in which they carry their first round total with them, and they have another one minute and 30 seconds to do it then. Two players with the most homers over those first two rounds meet in the finals, which are also a minute and a half. Um, they have one 30-second timeout. So it's not like the home run derby we saw at the All-Star game this year, you know, Julio Rodriguez going up against Juan Soto, a whole bracket thing. There's two rounds, top two guys move on. My personal favorite in this competition, and I know he hasn't had a great fall league so far, is Davison De Los Santos. Um, some of the feedback I've got on him during the regular season was he puts out incredible max exit velocities, uh, average at Exit velocity is really up there as well. You watch him take BP. The guy can launch it all over the place. Uh, and I, I think he has a little bit of an axe to grind. The fact that he, he is coming in to this competition without a great fall league, this is an opportunity for him to put his stamp on you know this six-week season. Um, if he can walk away with a home run derby win, at least that's something he can carry with him and hold his head high uh, coming out of the AFL. So... Davidson De Los Santos, I think the exit velo is there. I've watched him in BP. It's really good pull side power. It's at least plus plus raw power, if not 80 grade. It's it's really close to the top of the line. Um, two other guys to watch, of course, are Matt Mervis, uh, who had 36 homers during the regular season this year. He's been right up there among the AFL leaderboards. And Heston Kerstad just seems like he has a swing designed for the home run derby. It's a pretty big leg kick, and that makes me worried about how he'll tire over a competition, but He's done really well so far at the time we ran the AFL Derby story. Uh, he was slugging 627. He was leading the league in total bases. Um, you know, after his issues with COVID and myocarditis and, and coming back from that, uh, he seems fully healthy now. He's been really productive. He's been one of these stories of the fall league. Uh, so wouldn't be surprised to see him competing. Those are my three to watch. Um, and, you know, as you and I were talking just a moment ago, Tyler, uh, you know, after last week's predictions with Astros and five, maybe don't pay too much attention to what I think here, but this is on the ground reporting. I've, I've seen all these guys hit live and I, I do think De Los Santos has the best shot. I like it. Um, we do not yet have fall stars rosters, uh, but is there anything that you think people should keep an eye out for or keep in mind when it comes to the fall stars? Game? It's such a fun event. And to be able to see all those guys, uh, you know, on one field at the same time, the the fall league is essentially an all-star game every single day. Uh, but is there anything that you think this year with the fall stars game is, uh, you know, really the going to be the storyline once we get rosters? Well, I, I can say this is that the format is changing this year in a very fun way. I think it's going to ALNL. It's not divided. That up is going to be really cool. Yeah. So it, 
already feels like an all-star game. And I say this all the time to people of, you know, what is the fall league like? And I'm like, for me, somebody who covers the minor leagues and covers prospects, every game here feels like an all-star game because it's just guys from the Orioles system playing with guys from the Cubs system playing with guys from the Philly system. Like you're pulling in all these guys from all different organizations and getting them to play together for six weeks um, and forming bonds. And, and, you know, you have double play partnerships that wouldn't exist before you have pitchers and catchers who are learning each other along the way. Um, So the fall stars game is that diluted, not diluted, but like super concentrated into one game. And I think doing it ALNL, it mixes it up even more because you already have these mixed up six teams. Uh, but if you divide it into East and West, okay, some Glendale guys are going to be playing with other Glendale guys, and that's right. not a new relationship. Now all of a sudden we're getting more and more mixing of, of that bowl. Um, so I'm excited for that format, and that's just going to make it feel so much more like an all-star game. Like people are going to tune in and not have to figure out, oh, so Peoria is in the West, Mace is in the East, I think. Like what, what does that mean? Right. If you haven't been to Arizona, you don't know what all that means. You know AL, you know NL. Um, so I think that's going to be really cool. And it, it's going to be a lot of, if you've been following the AFL, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of the guys you were expecting to be there. Kerstad's, Mervis, um, Evan Reifert, you know, somebody who's been dominating the league who we, we can talk about here in a second. Uh, Jordan Walker, you know, Mason Wynn, like all these big, big names are going to be there. It's not just based on AFL performance strictly. Some of the best prospects in this league are going to be there as well. So tune in. If if, if game seven is happening, the game will be streamed on MLB.com. If it's not happening, it'll be on MLB Network. Um, so there'll be multiple ways to watch this. We'll be, keep you updated throughout the weekend. But Fall Stars game is all, always super fun. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, if it's being streamed on MLB.com, that means that we have multiple fun things to be watching on that day. Uh, if we get to game yes, seven as right, well. Right. So, um, so that's pretty great. Uh, and uh, Sam, what else do we have to tackle today? Uh, I just want to shout out a couple other things. You know, we, we talked about the two big events coming up here in the yes. AFL. I just want to share some of my other observations um, from the AFL so far. I did the pipeline newsletter. Um, so if you've read this, I'm going to be repeating myself a little bit, but uh, I still think it's something that you guys will want to know. And I'll start off with this. Jordan Walker's almost ready. Like, I'm pretty convinced of that. Uh, you look at who the Cardinals sent to the AFL last year. Everybody in their opening cohort uh, made the majors at some point this season. Uh, so I think the Cardinals really treat this as a prospect finishing school. They don't send guys here to just make up for lost innings, although some of that does happen. They send guys here to get a little extra experience to potentially either make the club out of spring or make it very early. Jordan Walker's hitting the ball as well as anybody would have expected. Um, I caught him the other day on Halloween when he had a homer and a double. Watching him in the outfield, I think he's going to be fine out there. That's the other big question. We know the arm is going to play. He actually is a pretty natural fit for right field. Um, some of the reads have been a little different, but not completely bad. And I don't his range isn't stellar, but it's not awful either. Uh, it's the bat that's going to drive him out there, and the arm is going to provide a lot of value as well. So I think he's going to be a pretty natural fit in right field eventually. Um, the bat is playing, like I said, as well as would have expected after he got a full year double A this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he's with the club in May, if not a little beforehand. The, the Cardinals have kind of a crowded outfield right now um, in a good way from a depth person. Uh, situation like Tyler O'Neill's obviously out there. Dylan Carlson's out there. Lars Newcar's out there. Uh, they have another top 100 prospect in Alec Burleson. Like, they're going to have to make room for a lot of these guys. But Jordan Walker is a player you make room for. If he is ready, you figure everything else out because he's somebody you want in the lineup every day. Um, an infectious personality, great guy to be around. I've chatted with him a few times, including on this very podcast, which you guys have heard if you listened to a couple episodes back. Um, but Jordan Walker's nearly ready. And that was the big question I had coming into the fall league is what his status was going to be. And I feel pretty comfortable in saying he's going to be in the majors in the first half, if not very early next year. Yeah, just pretty cool stuff. And uh, another thing for prospect fans to be excited about. So there is a lot of that coming up over the next week. Home run derby, the fall stars game, play in semifinals and the Arizona fall league championship game coming up next week. And of course we will have uh all of the AFL postseason preview conversation ahead for next week as well. Um, so we're going to step aside and uh, give you a little taste of a team of your 
and goes to the minors as Josh Jackson stops by. That's coming up, and then we're back to wrap it up. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One once made an attempt to fly high. The others never really got off the ground. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Laredo Launchers. B. The Athens Airmen. C. The Paris Rockets. The sky's the limit for you if you pick C. The Paris Rockets. missed, but still ended up sixth among the big state league clubs of 1948. Representing the seat of Texas's Lamar County, this Paris club played not far from Cox Airfield, built by the Army Air Forces during the war and turned over to the municipality when peace came. So arose a lofty name for the ball club that brought one of Texas's historical railroad hubs into the Rocket Age. Well, they didn't exactly soar, and in fact provoked from some fans a distinct red glare. Like the Paris team, the Big State League itself was a product of minor league baseball's post-war prosperity, as the circuit kicked off in 1947 with the Paris Red Peppers, discussed in Ghosts of the Miners back in February, making the jump from the East Texas League in the inaugural season. But the new identity that launched for 1948 was more bust than boom, so far as shooting up the standings goes. Not only did the Rockets fail to blast off, but they never peeled out, which is only surprising considering their manager, one Homer Peel. By 1948, Peel had not only retired from a five-year career playing in the big leagues, but had firmly established himself as a minor league skipper, helming the Fort Worth Cats to a Texas League title in 1937, and at one point replacing Rogers Hornsby as manager of an Oklahoma City club. Peel's hiring for the 48 campaign was the toast of Paris. Having managed their Red Peppers back in 46, he was welcomed home with a fair fare befitting a star, with ads for the team and well wishes in the newspapers from local sponsors as likely to mention his name as not. Despite the town going bananas over the new skip, Peel's squad slipped quickly. Opportunities to advance in the standings kept potassium by. By June 1, the Rockets were 19-20 and 20 and in 5th place, and they couldn't even stay on that trajectory. Falling in a dismal arc for the remaining months of the season to finish 62-85. and 85. In 49, the sleeping tiger that was the Paris Rockets changed its stripes, becoming the Paris Panthers and returning to the East Texas League. And that's how the Rockets crashed. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these clubs was committed to public service in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Quebec City Clerks. B. The Bentonville Office Holders. C. The Appleton Street Sweepers. Want to know the answer? Pay your taxes. Or tune in to the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is getting ready for the election, and I don't think he'll get a single vote. <laughs> That'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Enjoy game five. And if you're tuned in, you've already enjoyed game five. So there's all kinds of weird dynamics at play. Yeah. Well, we can tell you enjoy game six because we definitely know there is going to be. That is six. true. We do know That's that after after four games. Um, yes. Yeah, there is. Uh, this is the time of year when I'm like glad that I am not a fan of one of the two teams that is now playing essentially a best of three world series because my anxiety level would just be like, I'm already, I'm scratching my, my fingertips. I'm like getting off. I'm just thinking about the concept of being Ben going to game five tonight. Like the whole series potentially rides on this one. Uh, oof, that's a lot of, it's a lot of nerves. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, just watching last night's game, a no hitter. Like I know you guys yeah. kind of, 
saying it, it, it's a multi pitcher no hitter and it, it's it's it cheapens it a little bit. It's not uh, as cool. It's, it's not, not as cool, as cool as Yogi Berra as cool. mugging right. Don Larson right. after the perfect game. Like it's not, you know. Yeah, no. it's a no hitter in the World Series, but like I think everybody can agree combined no hitters are ultra lame compared to just like do um, a one dude no hitter. Come on. Come on. I don't know about ultra lame. We can share <laughs> we can we can save this for another time. I don't know about ultra. You know. Maybe I've been covering the minors for too long and I just see so many multi Yeah, see even like like combined no hitters in the minor leagues. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. I mean, very and you'll attest to this, very oftentimes We'll talk to pitchers who were in on combined no hitters, and they're like, "Yeah, I didn't even realize it until it was over." <laughs> oh, <laughs> even those guys, yeah. even those guys, don't think it's as cool. What happens in bullpens today? <laughs> that's my, that's my big question. Um, but anyway, but still, but watching that game last night and like not having, uh, you know, a feeling one way or the other, yeah, in that, and then realizing, oh, they're six outs away, uh, or, or you know, before that, oh, they're pulling Javier. That's an interesting move, but you know, maybe Dusty Baker doesn't care about. Him. No hitter so much. He just he wants to win this game. They need to even the series. Okay, now they're nine outs away. Oh, they're six outs away. Presley's coming in. He's pretty good. And one out, you know, one out to go. Oh, there it is. Like it, it was just, it was nerve wracking just following that, thinking like it, it was a normal five nothing game. Yeah, but the Phillies have never played a normal game at all this season, which is very that very is quickly very becoming an internet uh, trope. But, that is very true. Yeah, um, even when they lose what could be a normal five nothing game, it's, it's historic in some. Yeah, it, and it seems like um, you know we should uh, buckle up for three more games because of that. Because right. this team has the ability to just make things weird all the way through Game Seven. Which, uh, hey man, I'm into when it's when it's the World Series. Let's get this thing going as long as possible. Um, so. That'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, for Sam Dykstra, for Ben Hill, for Josh Jackson, everybody else at MILB. My name is Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. Oh, 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 o